you're up north on the Alaska Highway, break down the side of the road on one of those big deserted roads in the middle of nowhere, everybody that goes past slows down, winds down the window and says, you're doing okay, do you need help? And it sounds as if Jesus here is not being a good newcomer, not actually being a good journeyer either, because it says that he intends to walk past. Can you imagine that? Walking past your your friends, your disciples, in a boat while they're struggling, and you just stroll on past walking on the water. changes. Events move. Um, sometimes those changes are good. Sometimes they're not so good. Sometimes the changes are happy. Sometimes they're incredibly sad. Uh, life moves on and, it, and it's quite in, unpredictable in, in some of its shifting, it seems, from our point of view. Now, in this particular passage of scripture in Mark chapter 6, we have a very graphic illustration of life moving on and things changing and things progressing and a, and a sort of a journey th that takes place. Um, now, in, in the New Testament, and especially the way Mark records things here, uh, he records things moving between events. We, in our, in our most of our calendar things, um, we mark the moving on of things from your move from graduation, which is bizarre now because kids graduate from every single year of class, it seems, where they, there used to just be one giant graduation. Now there's about a million of them and it's hard to keep up. So we mark things by graduations. We mark things by anniversaries or birthdays. Don't forget the anniversaries, guys. Big hint. So we, we mark things like that. We, we mark things by retirement. Um, I have a friend who, who, who had a really bad car accident and he, he marks time uh, in months since the accident. Um, and he marks his progress as well as he recovers and gets more use of limbs and, and recovers memories and stuff. He marks those um, by the date of the accident. So, so we measure the movement of time and movement of life by different events. But like I said, Mark, um, in this gospel, St. Mark, he, he, he marks the movement between events and places. So Jesus moves on from this event of, of feeding 5,000 people in chapter 6, and then he moves on from there. Immediately after this, Mark says, um, Jesus insisted that his disciples get into a boat and head across the lake to Bethesda, to Bethsaida, sorry, uh, Bethesda, Bethsaida, sound the same, different places. Um, so to Bethsaida, so we go, he insisted. Now, now it's important to remember that. And, and now this story is going to start sounding familiar in a minute, right? So, so keep that in mind. Um, he insists that they get in the boat while he dismisses the crowd and then he goes up on the hilltop to pray. 
Now, why does all that geographical and topographical topographical information actually make any difference? Well, it makes a huge difference because he sends them out on the lake. He goes up on the mountain after dismissing the crowd and saying goodbye to them. And he goes up on the mountain to pray on his own. So he's up above the lake, looking down on the lake. And he can see the disciples. They can't see him. So he looks down and it says this. After he's insisted they get in the boat, he looks down and he sees. And we can read this. Uh, we can read this in verse 48. This is what it says. I'll, I'll read the rest of the story. Late that night, uh, after telling the people goodbye, he went up on the mountains to pray by himself. That's a good habit. doesn't tell us what he prayed about. doesn't tell, he, tell us what he prayed for. But it does establish a, a pattern that Jesus has of praying. And we should pray more. I've often said to people that, that when you go to countries where people have no hope, where they have no political or financial or social power, prayer meetings are full. It's just, but when you go to countries where people have money and, and economic and social power and where they have a reliance on themselves, prayer meetings are not full. I'll leave it up to you to decide which culture you live in. But there's a hint there, right? It's a good thing for us to pray. If Jesus has to pray, I certainly have to pray. Late that night, verse 47, the disciples were in the boat in the middle of the lake. I don't know if that's exact middle or if they're just way off from shore. Right, let's not be pedantic about it. And Jesus was alone on the land and he saw, see, I wasn't lying. He looks down from the hill. He saw that they were in trouble, not normal trouble, serious trouble. Serious trouble, rowing hard, struggling against the wind and the waves. Now, I am going to be pedantic about this because it says they're struggling against the wind and the waves. And it was about three o'clock in the morning. That is a long time to be rowing. It's a long time to be rowing in the dark, struggling against wind and waves. All right. And it, it says they're in, in serious trouble. These, a lot of these guys in this boat are fishermen. They're experienced on the lake. Uh, the wind and the waves are against them in serious. Tr this reminding you of anything? Because it should. It should sound incredibly familiar. Because in Mark chapter four, that's only two chapters before this. It's almost an exact repeat of the story. But this time in Mark chapter four, when they told it previously about another trip across the lake, Jesus is asleep in the front of the boat during the storm. Now, this time Jesus is on the land watching all this happen. Now, when you read this in different translations, it says different things. It says that they're making painful headway, painful headway. Their muscles are aching. They're, they're probably shouting at each other, row harder. Whose idea was this trip anyway? Who insisted they got in the boat? Begins with J, ends with Jesus. It's Jesus' fault here. This, this boat trip is Jesus' idea. So is the storm Jesus' fault? Or is it just the result of the fact that we live 
in a stormy society and stormy world. And that's what this represents. You see, we live in a world that's in chaos sometimes. And it feels as if it's out of control chaos. But Jesus is up on this hill watching what's happened. And I just like that picture. In the chaos of my life, when it seems that everything's out of control, when it feels dark, when it only feels like there's painful, if any, progress, and I'm in serious trouble, I've got somebody watching. Now, he doesn't stay inactive. And I love that. This is not just some distant, far-off deity who just watches the affairs of men play out. He decides to get involved. Now, this is what happens. And I love the way he chooses to get involved. Look at this. It's, it's a fascinating story. Right now, 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 listen, this is what it says. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. Notice the wording, wind and waves. Three o'clock in the morning. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them, walking on the water. That is a neat trick. Like, I love diving into lakes. I like swimming in pools. I like being in the sea. Never managed to walk on it. I don't even know what that would feel like. Walking on bumpy, lumpy water, stepping over storm-driven waves. That just sounds like fun to me. Now, listen to this, because this bothers me when I read this. Right? And, and I hope, I hope a little bit, honestly, that it bothers you. Because it makes me wonder what's going on in Jesus' mind when I read this. Now, I'll try to explain it as we go. Right? Listen to what it says. Jesus came towards them walking on the water. He intended to go past them. Now, that sounds a little bit cruel to me. You see somebody struggling on the side of the road, uh, on the side of the road. If you're if you're up north, you're in the Yukon Territory. I've broken down um, on the Alaska Highway uh, heading through the, the, towards the Yukon Territory. And if, if you break on the side, break down the side of the road on one of those big deserted roads in the middle of nowhere, everybody that goes past slows down, winds down the window, says, you're doing OK. Do you need help? And it sounds as if Jesus here is not being a good Yukoner, right? And not, not actually being a good journeyer either, because it says that he intends to walk past. Can you imagine that? Walking past your, your friends, your disciples in a boat while they're struggling and you just stroll on past walking on the water. That does not sound like a helpful deity to me. All right. And it bothered me. And so I read it in different translations. And this is what it says. All right. He was about to pass them by in another translation. And when you look at these things, he was about to pass them by. He intended to pass them by. So Mark is writing this stuff down. And like I said before, Mark is quite a rough and ready writer, which is great uh, the, the way he wrote this. But then you do a bit more study and you find out that there's a similarity here. Now, you'd have to turn to it right now. But in Luke 24 and verse 28, there's this story about two guys walking along the road to Emmaus after Jesus has been crucified. 
And Jesus walks alongside them on the road, only they don't recognize that it's Jesus. And it says that where they, when they get to the place where they're going to stay that night, he makes as if he's going to carry on. But his intention is to actually stay with them because he's about to reveal who he is. But he acts as if he's going to walk past. So when you read these two translations and these two descriptions, this event, it's not that Jesus is just going to leave them there struggling. He catches up to where they are and it looks as if and feels as if from their perspective that he is going to walk past, that that could be his intention. He's going to walk past. But then I'm reminded of this Luke story when he acts as if he's going to walk past and he doesn't. And as they see him, they scream out in fear because they don't realize who it is. It's a storm. They're sweating profusely. There's, there's water, there's spray, there's going up, there's chaos in the boat. And they look up and they see some something walking on the water and they think it's a ghost. Now, there's all sorts of traditional reasons why this should disturb them. Because their traditional stories believe that if you're going to drown on the lake, a ghost comes out to take you away. So they scream out in fear. And, and, and they cry out. And Jesus says these incredible words. Let me, let me read them to you. Because it's great. Thinking he was a ghost. You see, I'm not lying. In, he intended to pass by, and then in verse 49, but when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They cried out, they're terrified. They were terrified. I'm not lying. When they saw him, Jesus spoke to them at once. So he didn't wait, didn't string it out. He didn't build the suspense, standing there looking, are they going to get it? Are they going to get it? No, didn't do that. At once, the moment that they were terrified, he said, don't. Be afraid. Don't be. Don't be. That, that phrase turns up over and over and over again, especially when angels appear out of nowhere, which would scare the tar out of me. And this would scare me too. I'd be scared. Don't be afraid, he says. And then we translate this and we put it into nice rounded English or Canadian or whichever language you're reading the, the scripture in. Take courage. I am here. That's how we write it down. But actually, actually, that's not what he says. When, when this is written in the original language, and I understand why we round it out to make sense, because it's written in the rough and ready language of Mark. Written in a day when writing was an expensive thing to do on, on, on paper, that, uh, uh, parchment or animal skins that, 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 that are very expensive to do. He, do, he doesn't write, uh, take courage, I am here. Or uh, be confident in my presence, uh, I am with you. He doesn't say that, he's not that wordy. What he actually writes is this. It's, it's confidence, I that's what he writes. Confidence. I. Courage. Me. 
That's it's, it's just this the brevity of what he writes is staggering. Like they're terrified, and he goes confidence. I. It's almost like it's it's almost like he uses the title for God, like confidence. What he does in our translation, confidence. I am here, and it's like confidence, courage. I, in the middle of the storm, I am here. I, I, me, the Messiah has turned up in the middle of the storm. Now, he doesn't walk past. Again, it's like he could have, he could have, Calm this storm and kept strolling on. Right? Because, hey, it's the answer to, to their struggle. Um, they're familiar with the struggle. Uh, they've been struggling for a few hours. They're familiar with conditions like this on the lake. And his presence there actually scares them. And you know, that, that makes me think. You see, sometimes my struggle, I become familiar with it. And I... I become comfortable with it. The presence of God turning up. Although I might think, well, I thought it'd be great if he would just turn up. But it's unfamiliar. And it can be scary. But then he turns up and he says these wonderful words, confidence, courage, I, me. Not, not confidence, courage, try harder. I, me. And he could have calmed the storm and kept walking. That would have been cool, but he doesn't. He gets in the boat with him. And again, we see this identification with people who are struggling. Remember when he reaches out and he touches the leper? He identifies with the deaf person. He, 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 he handles and, and guides the blind man to his healing. He identifies and eats with disreputable sinners who the religious people label as scum. Now, we talked about this last week. It offended some people. The word of God is offensive. I do not make any apology for it. And Jesus identifies himself with disreputable sinners who the religious law keepers of the day call scum. Now, I'm, I'm quite comfortable being numbered amongst the scum because it's part of the story of God rescuing me. When I realize that I'm in that crowd and it's the qualification for me to be rescued and saved. If you don't want to be called scum, hey, that's fine by me. But the religious people call them scum. <laughs> and, and that's why I, I'm quite happy to be numbered amongst the scum because Jesus associates with them and he identifies with them in this boat. And he gets in. Now, look what happens. Take courage, I am here. Then he climbs into the boat with the disreputable sinners who were struggling painfully to make any sort of progress at all. And they were amazed. 
<laughs> they were amazed. Why? Well, we're going to go into this in a couple of weeks. He climbed into the boat and the wind stopped. What word is missing from there? Begins with W and ends with Aves. You see, they were struggling because the wind and the waves were against them. They get, Jesus gets in the boat and the wind stops. The wind stops. The heavens become calm. The heavenly realms, that's what the winds speak of, become calm. There is peace in the heavens. It's like what, what Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7 talks about. There's a peace that passes all understanding. Now, it doesn't say that the waves stop. Now, they will eventually calm down. I spent some time on the, on the shores of a lake. It's a, it's a massive lake up north. Um, and uh, Atlan Lake, it's, it's huge. Um, and the wind blows for a few days. And if the wind dies down and, it, and, and the wind uh, is absolutely, totally calm, it takes two or three days for the chop on the lake to die down. Um, because the, the lake is so big. And as the wind dies down in this story, the waves are going to continue. Now listen, this is what is vitally important. You see, there's peace even in the middle of the crashing waves. Jesus gets in the boat and there's peace. They've still got a row against the waves. There's still work involved. But Jesus is in the boat. Now, when, when Jesus' presence enters the boat of my life, it doesn't automatically just go all calm and smooth. But there is peace in the heavenlies for me. There is peace between me and the heavens. And the heavens don't fight against me. Why? Because Jesus is the Lord of the heavenly realms. And he's the Lord of earth as well. And in the discipline of being a disciple and following him, I have him in my life. He puts, he joins us to himself. Now, this is vitally important. I don't join him to me. He joins me, you, us, to himself and he brings us into his peace and he brings the turmoil that we live in into the peace that is made in heaven. I wonder today whether we just think that he's going to come along and turn everything peaceful or whether we understand that when Jesus is in our life there is peace in the heavens for us. I pray today, whatever trouble you are facing, that as, as Jesus 
observes that trouble from the hilltop praying to the Father, which is what the Bible says he does right now. In heaven, interceding, praying for me. I am on Jesus' prayer list and so are you. As he, as he looks down and as he walks past the turmoil and trouble in our lives and he chooses not to walk past, he gets into our life with us. I pray that we will experience the peace that he has bought by his death and resurrection between us and heaven. And as I ask him to be part of my life, and as he takes me and makes me part of himself, that I experience the peace that there is in the heavenly realms, even amongst the painful headway of living and moving around and the changes of life on planet Earth. Hey, bless you. Have a look at this story. Um, it's a great read. It's a short story. In Mark chapter 6, verse 45 to 56. Bless you. And thanks for listening. Be safe. I'm praying for you. And as always, if you, if you want to talk to somebody or contact somebody, go to the website, pembertonchurch.com. And, uh, and our phone numbers and email is right there. Hey, bless you. And uh, have a great week. It begins with openness, the willingness to come alongside someone else, to pour out, care, invest. It's about sharing the journey, doing life together, growing, forging, becoming. It's about selflessness, caring enough to walk through the valley even when it's painful. To love people as Christ has loved us. It's rejoicing when they rejoice. Hurting when they hurt. Being a hand. An encourager. A friend. We were not created to wander alone. For as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. In great.
For it. 